Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is J.D. Koch. He's the Associate Rector at Christ Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. He's also a theologian. He did his doctorate in systematic theology at the University of Humboldt, dealing with issues of law and gospel as the boundary of theological reflection. I give you J.D. Koch. J.D., welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Scott, it's great to be here, as always. Thanks for the invitation. Of course, my friend. And here we have, it's so interesting, this Easter tradition where our Old Testament reading, the, the, the First Testament kind of reading, the, be, you know, the, becomes Acts instead yeah. of a traditional Old Testament passage. And here we have the story of Saul, the conversion of Saul uh, to, from persecutor of the church to apostle, to one who yes. is is. is spreading the word and and he importantly interestingly gets this appearance of the risen Jesus which is an interesting thing last week we had this Thomas reading where where Thomas is in this position for kind of a week that we all are in right that we have to believe the testimony of the yes. of the apostolic witnesses then yeah. he gets to see it and has that same apostolic witness. And Paul here, who says he was last of all the one who Jesus appeared to, the risen Christ. Yes, the least of the... The least, right. right. And one this untimely is, born, that's right. Yeah, that's a great phrase, one untimely born. <laughs> yeah. And this is so this is the story of his, his conversion and going from the church's great antagonist and persecutor to the great propagator and spreader of the faith. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's, 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 I mean, these passages during this season basically preach themselves. I mean, I was telling someone uh, who was complimenting me on a sermon I gave yesterday, um, I said, well, if, if, if you can't preach something uh, good news or meaningful during this season, you're, you're probably in the wrong job. Yeah, you know? and yeah, I think that's yeah. What, and so, you know, just to read this and then to understand the history, obviously, of, of Saul to Paul and then his incredible influence over the um, over the church with respect to sort of fleshing out, you know, as, as Ernst Kazemann famously said, uh, against the people that would pit Paul against Jesus. You know, he said all Paul did was basically teach what Jesus lived, you know, and I think that there was a, um, uh, there there was an, an obviously an incredible providence in God's um, selection of Paul in this incredibly dramatic way. And I love that what, you know, what's often been pointed out here is that Jesus says, you know, that the church that Paul is perse- Saul is persecuting is actually him. You know, that he identifies himself with the body of the faithful believers, you know, united by the Spirit in light of his resurrection. And I think that there's a, there's a, there's a beautiful, um, point to that that is often overlooked, I think, and with respect to the, the rest of the, the drama, because it is incredibly dramatic. I mean, Paul gets, you know, <laughs> blinded and then, um, you know, sort of snuck into people's homes who are rightly afraid of him, and then he's, he's miraculously healed, and then as we hear in Galatia, you know, in Galatians, you know, he goes away um, after this for a little while, uh, for years, to process, you know, what in the world just happened to me here. And I love, I love the initial point that Paul that Jesus is identifying himself and it by you know the, the with the persecuted that Paul is is going about doing um 
as 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 members of him you know united in christ that this is a this is already in the nascent church um by jesus's own attestation a confession of the sort of unity of of the faithful believers as we say in the end of our communion service and so i um i've always been struck by that because i think that that Paul, you know, he even sort of, I think about him, and I was teaching about this yesterday, you know, if we if we remember and read Paul as an actual human, you know, he's a man, he's a, he's a, someone's friend, someone's son, someone's, um, you know, he puts on his pants same way every day. And we realize the type of um, humility and sort of, uh, uh, that it would take to walk into these very places that he had been, you know, probably a, a, a swear word, you know, I mean, he'd been, he'd been terrorizing these places, and then all of a sudden had to convince them and plead with them that he was now, um, you know, one of their own, um, is, is an incredibly beautiful picture of reconciliation and redemption, um, which, of course, we're going to see throughout the rest of these these readings. Yeah, the other thing that I think is interesting is that you have this, it's almost like the, the healing of the one blind person, blind man in the Gospels, where Jesus, you know, he, he it's the only time, the spitting on the mud thing, which is fascinating, yeah. rubs in his eyes, and then he walks the guy around, and, and, and which must be so disorienting for a blind person, and he's <laughs> kind of partially seeing it, and he says that yeah, great... Yeah, like, trees, right? Yeah, I see, I see, like, they look, I see men, like, trees walking, and then th- there's this, inspiration for the veggie tales. Right ex- exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah, or, like, the swamp thing. Uh, your, That's right. Yeah, and, and here you have Paul, like, the, this convert, there's a real conversion, and yet this first moments of his faith journey are in weakness and dependence. He can't see, and he has to be dependent on this community that he's been persecuting violently. And the community has to open themselves up to this one who, yeah, I mean, he was literally the chief of sinners for them. So it's this amazing picture of the disorienting grace that comes in and the the sort of of weakening. Paul's got to be made weak before he's strong. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I think, you know, I'm just thinking about this now as you were talking, but the the similarly weak and um, sort of graceful position of these early Christian uh, community that would take on faith, as it were, um, you know, the 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 confession of this new new weakened convert. Um, you know, obviously, um, uh, Ananias was was reluctant, but he was faithful, and I think that there's a there's a real beautiful. Um, reality of the, like you said, the the initial phases of the Christian conversion, you know, begin in moments of of great weakness, um, often, you know, if, if not exclusively. And I think that's, you know, I heard someone teach about this once, and I wanted to stand up and argue with them, but it wasn't appropriate. Um, talking about how this was this was sort of a um, model for Paul choosing. Um, sort of choosing Jesus in this moment. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, well, I mean, I guess he didn't, you know, willingly run blind from the road like he did submit himself. I mean, there was an aspect of, you know, there was some voluntarism after the fact, but I said, I'm pretty sure this is the quintessential model of the inbreaking, unexpected, and unmerited grace of God um, reorienting and and resurrecting you from from your otherwise murderous, you know, de- death dealing ways. And I think this this is a, you know, it's funny. I mean, we had a, subsequently had a conversation. I don't think it actually went anywhere, but um, but I I was struck by how how. Uh, 
how it's become such a paradigmatic um, picture for my entire sort of life in preaching and teaching ministry is this this grace, this severe grace of God that comes and um, you know brings you down to raise you up in Him, and it's um, and it's it's amazing and it's wonderful and it's beautiful that Paul is our older brother um, in this respect because he um, he gives us the hope that God won't you know that that God is merciful and and my prayer is that He won't let me persist in my. Um, he won't let me make it to Damascus, whatever that place may be in my life, uh, without blinding me and re- resetting me before I get there. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. It's so beautiful after that too. That when Ananias goes to him and he anoints, he, there's this prayer, and then he, Paul, is baptized and eats. I mean, it, it's this kind of beautiful picture of the Christian life. And I almost think of the Matrix, you know, where they, you know, in that first movie where Neo is pulled out of the Matrix, and it's like this baptism yeah. scene, right? He's ejected from the Matrix yeah. and then pulled out, like he's incapacitated, pulled out into that ship, and then yeah. refitted, and he has to like learn how to function again in this world he's not and that's great he's like my eyes hurt and he's like because i what my eyes you've never used them yeah so you have this this beautiful picture of paul entering into a new form of life amen and i think it's a you know and that had to you know again as, as we take him as his sort of development as you know with with all of the writing uh that we have from him and we can speculate somewhat through his pastoral letters in particular you know his we see that this clearly was a a not just a powerful conversion experience, but I think the entire, as you said, the entire introduction to the Christian way of life, um, the culminating in getting baptized and and sharing meal with them, um, clearly was 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 formative in a indelible way that he you can see the echoes of playing out in you know his letters to the Corinthians and Ephesians and um, the Thessalonians and all the different areas you can see a a similar pathos, you know, I mean, it, where he writes, um, you know, the Philippians, like, I had all this stuff, and now I count it all as loss, you know, he writes to, um, uh, about his thorn in his flesh, he writes about his, um, his, uh, you know, that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. I mean, I think that paradigm was established at the very point where he became a Christian, um, or he became a, yeah, became a Christian. <laughs> On to the book of Revelation, our second, yeah. our, our epistle to great readings this week. We're here, we have uh, Revelation 5, and we have this really intriguing picture here, right, of the, that you have this this uh, sense that John is uh, w- witnessing to this lamb who was slaughtered, right? Yes. That then uh, he's the one who uh, is a, is venerated as the Ancient of Days is venerated, and elsewhere here, right? I don't think it's in the in the reading actually, but earlier we have this past part where John is like looking at the scrolls, like the seven seals, yeah. right? And and this is, yeah. I mean, there's some scholars right that say this is that. You, that there's some kind of thing with Roman last will and testaments, whatever you have these yes. seven seven seals and you'd open the last will and testament or something. And here you have like the last will and testament of history and who can open it. And it's the lion who is the lamb. It's an amazing picture. And then you have this multitude who's worshiping worthy is the lamb slaughtered. Uh, and you have this, you know, shouting of these four mysterious creatures and the elders. So this, this sort of picture as of Jesus 
as the center of history, right? And, yes. and, and, and the, it's interesting because N.T. Wright talks about this a lot, where you have these two distinct figures in Second Temple Judaism, that Messianic, Davidic sort of figure, and the suffering servant. But no mm. one before Jesus had really merged these, right? These are two yes. distinct sort of apocalyptic figures. Yes. And Jesus, they become one. It's, it, it's the, the lion rules as the lamb, right? I mean, yes. the, lamb, the lamb conquers, you know, like it, it, he is the lion through his suffering. Yeah, I mean, it's... A, it's... I mean, yeah, I mean, that's an incredibly beautiful picture, and I think that N.T. Wright, um, you know, can be our guide, particularly through the um, through the, the dense forest that is Revelation. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To be sure. But I do think that it, it, the, the fundamental, you know, witness of the book is sort of encapsulated in this this reading. I mean, if, if you were going to preach or teach on it, I think, you know, you could recognize some of the um, the historical difficulties with the book and the and the complexities and the density and, and not have to apologize for any of that and it's certainly worthy of um, uh, further reflection but at the at the end of the day the revelation given to John was sort of the the veil of time and um, you know our finitude pull back and we see that as you said the the whole point of the of of all of creation I mean as 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 the great um, Christ hymn says, in Colossians, you know that that the, the pinnacle, the apex, the meaning of behind all this was the exaltation of the of the Lamb, you know, of of the Son of God, of the of the the suffering servant for the sins of the world. I mean, this was the um, this you know was not a a, a second act, you know, that sort of a, a cleanup measure. This was the this was the the point, and it's a it's an amazing. It's an amazingly profound. I mean, it's a simple thing to say, but it's an amazingly profound um, idea to to sort of, I think, rightly bring you to your knees. I mean, it's it's this this place where we we see John um, or, or the the singing. You know, the the attributions worthy the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing, and it's sort of like the the ex- exhausting of all of the the accolades one could would could give to someone who rightly deserved them and then we we see that there's this 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 sense in which the church has been established as a precursor for the eternal worship of of God as he has revealed himself through his son and of course you know you don't want to get too close i mean this is where you hear the ob- objections you know it doesn't sound very very appealing to sit and you know worship um you know for all of eternity in this way although i think if we were there and that is the case that we might not be complaining but um <laughs> but you know but, um, for, but i think that the idea the idea that he's saying is that there is a that there is an already, you know, this is what the theological um, uh, sort of argument about the, you know, the quote unquote already, but not yet. There's already been a consummation and a culmination of time and history in the resurrection of Christ, the first fruit of the new creations, and that there's a, there is even as we speak outside of time, the reality of 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 the worship of God um, and his and his glory, and we are, um, you, you know. Precursors to that, uh, first fruits of that, and by the Spirit and through John, obviously being raised up um, through this vision, given a, a, a foretaste of of this this true worship, you know, the the true worship of God. And I think, um, you know, obviously Isaiah had something of that in the Old Testament, you know, the foretaste and the vision. And this is sort of the 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 end book and New Testament version of that. Um, enduring and eternal refrain, you know, holy, 
blessing to the one seated on the throne, but blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. I mean, that's um, that's pretty much the the uh, the sum total of all of the, all of the direction work of the church this side of heaven. Yeah, and it, yeah, and I think that you're that you're you're right. Earlier, when you said there's something deeply practical here. I mean, that that the Book of Revelation this it, it has the same message right to us as it does in the first century that. Things on this are, you know, I think of when Paul says in Second Corinthians five, we no longer regard anyone from a human point of view, yes. right? From, yeah, because we once saw Christ that way. That Revelation it seems to be a big picture, you know, a symbolic picture of the way things look from the heavenly perspective versus yes. the earthly, and it, it, yes. it, and this suffering servant looks like anything but the lion of Judah that holds yes. the key to the end of history, but he is, and, and that yes. and that we can trust him in the midst of, in the time between the times, that we can trust that he really is Lord. And, and it's, only, it's yes. generally only, uh, especially when we're in these weak places like Paul, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. needing to be realizing our need for God's grace and care, that we actually can hear this message most readily, yes. right? That, that and actually, it's, and it's, it's real. I mean, yeah, exactly. And I think, and that's the, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's not too far of a of a stretch to to consider a Christian community that would be encouraged by the fact that despite. Um, you know, rising totalitarian governments and the lack of peace and the, the prevalence of war and famine and drought and the in existence of persecution and uh, the untrustworthiness of their leaders and the seeming you know, brokenness of it all, um, God is still in control and has still um, sealed the victory through his death and resurrection of his son. Well, that'll preach, that preached then and that'll preach now, and that will continue to preach. You know, when you replace the um, the swords with, with uh, you know, rocket ships and and laser guns it's still going to be it's still going to be as comforting and i think that's where that's where you know the i love the book of revelation um in part because it is such an outlier to what the rest of the bible has i mean it is this this sort of um i heard it described as this um sort of psychedelic nightmare yeah know? yeah yeah, yeah. This, and it was uh and i love it because it does it, it it defies our tendency to sort of materialize the entire gospel message because it reminds even the most cynical of of faithful honestly cynical even the most the, well maybe cynical of the most faithful biblical um, expositors that um, that there are sort of greater and and more mysterious and and wild realities to God and His ultimate plan that we only will finally understand it if then when we um when we meet face to face and i think that's uh you know the book of revelation i mean i i um i uh it, i've i've gingerly waited in it i mean i've read it i've i've done some studies in it but i find it con continues to be this very humbling um and ultimately just worship inspiring book i mean the the powers of the battles the the um the judgment the grace the mercy the the worship it's 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 incredibly dramatic and incredibly profound and powerful and of course when we see it rightly at the very least, as being centered around Christ and what He has done, um, you know, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world uh, for its redemption and mercy and glory, um, well, then it becomes an, a devotional book, you know, uh, in, in a very unique and powerful way.
speaking of Christ and face to face, here we have in John twenty one this great yeah, man. encounter. It's interesting. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. One of my favorite uh, interactions here. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's almost like an epilogue. Because most scholars think really that this this encounter with Thomas is really the crescendo of the gospel, right? Where you have this... Right. Well, you do have John putting, seems to be his final statement. Right, so right. Wrote, there's a lot of other things here, but I wrote this. And then I've got one and more. And I also wrote this. That's right. It's like the... There, it's, there, there's one more. It's like all the Marvel movies where there's this sort of scene after the credits. This is, you know, if you sit around for John, if you stick around church for enough Sundays after Easter, you get this story where... You have the, the disciples who, you know, are, they decide, you know, that they're going to go fishing, you know, and yeah. they go out and then they are met by the Lord. And there's this, yeah. you know, interesting encounter where, you know, their their trip seems unsuccessful. And it's almost like, it's interesting, the ordering of, of Jesus' questions. He's like, first he says, you know, how are you doing, basically? Like, did you catch any fish, right? I mean, there's this empathy, like, I'm sure Jesus knows it's not going well. Yeah. But then, you know... After he asked them, he's. I have an idea. Why don't you throw your net over this side? <laughs> why, why don't you? Why don't you do that? You know, instead of uh, instead of this. And then there's this miraculous catch, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Yeah, I mean, this is an amazing um, interaction, and I think uh, you, you know the timing of it's always sort of been nebulous. I mean, I think and I mean, everyone argues about everything, but I do love the fact that Peter, in particular, this is what I always pull out of this is that that of all the other people. Um, uh, that that saw Jesus. You know, Peter, when Simon Peter heard of the sword, he put on some clothes for his naked and jumped into the sea. You know, I have this idea that Peter, particularly given his his uh, his failures on the night of the crucifixion, you know, and his sort of shame that must have endured, even if even having had the peace of the resurrected Christ and things like that, Peter still was this was this sort of this guy that was tethered to him in an, in a in a way that he couldn't even stop himself from diving off the boat to go Yeah, and you think of the first, elsewhere in the Gospels, the first miraculous fish scene, the contrast, because Peter says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Uh, And then this time, when he recognizes the Lord in a fishing miracle, rather than him saying, go away to Jesus, he jumps in and goes to Jesus. I mean, there's there's this such an interesting contrast yeah, in all these encounters, is Peter's kind of well, and I think that it's a clear yeah, and it's a clear you know metaphor that that, that Jesus uses via you know the created world um, for what he told them he would do in the very beginning, like put down your nets, you're catching fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men, you know, fishers for people, or however you want to RSV in uh, RSV uh, translates it. But um, you know, and I think what we see here is an appropriate bookend before his ascension, that he has, you know, it is like the Marvel movie, you know, all of the little lines that we've seen and the little, the the Easter eggs that everyone that's been following picks up on and all of the, all of the illusions and the sort of layers of meaning have now come full circle in this, where they have, you know, the, the jobs that they initially had, but it's whole lives have changed. They've got a relationship to him that has gone through um, you know, literally death and resurrection. You've got um, another catch of fish that this time does not break the uh, the nets. You know that 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 has this this and then culminating in this meal. You know, come and have breakfast. And then Jesus, of course, you know, once again shows that he's not um, an apparition. You know, he's not some sort of specter that's floating around. That he's this the the flesh and blood fruit first fruits of the new creation. And then he has this this sort of marching order. For Peter, um, you know, I mean, uh, uh, 
do you love me? You know, this sort of, this, uh, this refrain, which of course is, is a, um, uh, a powerful sort of, you know, what would you say, a, a commissioning, as it were, you know, feed my sheep. And he talks about uh, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wish. When you grow old, you'll stretch out your hand and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. And I think that there's such a, a beautiful pathos to that, that there's a, a helplessness embodied in our frailty that Jesus is pointing out to Peter, that he now has has transcended in his life, but that we, this side of heaven, will continue to walk. And I think that there's a a cycle to that that um, that Jesus recognizes that, again, brings us back to Paul in the beginning, that, that recognizes that, I mean, even in a Christian cycle, that there's a, an initial, um, there, there's, a, there's a helplessness at the, an unavoidable helplessness that will mark your life um, that Christ has overcome, but just um, this side of heaven. And we now, with Peter and with those called, um, you know, into his fellowship, are people who, who go back to our everyday lives, as it were, but with an entirely different um, understanding of its significance, of its meaning, and ultimately where our final hope lies. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think that's that's absolutely right. And it's interesting because you look at—I mean, there's—I think like there's two paradigmatic things here. First off, you see the paradigmatic reality of the church here because you have this fish and la- and sheep. Like, like you're going f- to be fishers of men. You're going to catch people and feed the sheep. So there's this sort of—I mean, oftentimes we're going to pit like sort of evangelism versus caring for people, the shepherding. Yeah, yeah. But they're here. They're flip sides of the same coin, right? You br- yes. you bring them in care. And the other thing is. You have this like model for the Christian life. You 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 feast with Jesus, right? Like this is the you know the, the this is you know he's he becomes our 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 you know meat and drink. You know he 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 is the source of life. You know his cross and resurrection, his ascended life is you know it, we feast with him and and we have to fail with him. Like after the yes. after the feasting, there's this invitation and sort of for Peter to take in his failure with with Jesus. And that then you know he can he can follow him. Then he can feed the sheep. But but it's this it's this sort of twin reality of feasting. And and in the yes. feasting we realize it's the Eucharistic prayer, right? Where Lord, we're not worthy to get the scraps from their table. You That's know, right. That's uh, right. this in between like when when we know that he wants us as his. It's funny because you don't you, you don't have meals with people usually in awkward situations. If you're gonna have an awkward situation like a first date that might not go well, you're gonna fire somebody or something. <laughs> you have coffee, right? But a meal <laughs> b- builds intimacy it's a covenant kind of thing especially in the bible and and, and here you know you have this it, it's in the feasting and knowing that he, this is the one who ate with the sinners that you can be free to realize that your your frailty and your failure and that's where the disciple is born yes yes and no, it's i mean that's that's a brilliant insight or that that's a great insight into it because i think that this is again going back to the whole the whole story as it were um and kind of the two the two sides from which you it can be viewed you know either one that where weakness is the um is the 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 not just the entrance card but the the position of the faithful or if there's kind of this you know this position where it's more um i would say optimistic in in a certain sense but i think not true to what 
the way that God has established it. I mean, this is, goes back to our talks about um, Good Friday and, and Easter. I mean, had there been a way that couldn't, that would not have exposed the depths of our need, i.e., the the the, the severity of our weakness, um, then the cross would have been would have been a great um, overkill. Would have been a great overstatement. And yet, because of the cross. We get an insight into just how dire our position is, but then because of the resurrection, we realize that, as you said, we have this this freedom purchased for us to to fail, and that doesn't mean we purposely fail, but that we we walk on a high wire with with a with a net, you know, we we we, we climb a, a rope ladder with with abandon, we 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 dive out of boats um, because we have seen the Lord, and I think that's that's the. The beauty of the of the the walk of faith when centered around rightly so the death and resurrection of, of Christ as the 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 beginning and end of of how we are related to God because we have this radical I mean Peter of all people I mean I love the I love the fact that that he of all people you know the one who was shamed and you know exposed for being essentially a coward you know betraying coward um who couldn't even take a uh, sideways glance the night that Jesus was betrayed um and and handed over suffering and death as we say but the um that of course he like Paul like like people like you like like any like all of us who have come face to face with our weakness with our um, with our propensity for betrayal, for our cowardice in the face of of our confession, and nevertheless been met by God's mercies and given something of his strength in our weakness, uh, we become people who can't really start talking about anything else. I mean, this is what we do. And I mean, I think that's really the picture of the, of the church, is that people who taste something of this um, and, you know, a good preacher, the right liturgy, like something that will direct you towards this, a good faithful exposition of the scriptures will at least put you in the position to, to eat, as it were, to be fed. And once you taste this, then you develop a taste for it and you don't want to hear anything else, you know, and you don't, and you start, um, demanding it of your pastor, which you should, um, because this is the admonition Jesus said, feed my sheep was not with platitudes and exhortations for, uh, your best life now, as it were, but it was, um, <laughs> give them, give them what, what I gave you, which was the, um, well, the law and the gospel, which was the exposition of how deep your, your brokenness, your lostness, and your sin is, and yet how great and glorious my forgiving mercies are. Yeah, as, as Eugene Peterson said, said uh, discipleship is about focusing more and more on Christ's righteousness and less and less Amen. on your own. Thanks, Amen. J.D. Thanks for doing this, my friend. Yes, God, you got it, bud. Have a, a blessed Easter 3. Yeah, and also with you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, Write a review and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks again to JD for coming on the podcast and thanks to you for listening. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.